0: Let's turn this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Coming now to almost the final installment of this gospel. I don't know how long ago it was that we began Luke, but it's been at least uh, a year, maybe more than that. I'm not sure. I have to look back in my notes. But we've come now to the last part, and we're hope this morning to go down through verse thirty-five from verse thirteen. So, verse 13, we'll just cover this one big chunk of a, a paragraph, as it's outlined here in the authorized version, from verses 13 down through verse 35. Now, uh, before we begin, what we'll do is just basically you remember that uh, the Lord Jesus has arisen from the grave there on the first day of the week. And it is still that same day, the first day of the week, that we come to Verse 13. And what we find here in verses 13 through 35 uh it contains our Lord's appearance to a couple of the brethren after his resurrection. And uh these events and these and this uh this passage are summed up very aptly there in Mark's gospel very briefly in chapter 16 and verse 12 and 13. It says after that he appeared in uniform form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. That's all Mark has to say in regards to all that takes place from verses thirteen down through verse thirty five. So this morning we want to see Luke's account of this. Again, we're not saying any of this is wrong, all of this was or any of this is contradictory. It's just that each gospel writer certainly sees things a little differently and shows us a different view or perhaps fulfill some areas that uh, we do not see in the other Gospels. This is not a problem. Uh, this is just the way the Lord himself has ordained that it should be. Well, let's look in verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. Now, these two individuals we don't know anything about, except one of their name is uh, Cleopas, we see there in verse 18. Uh, also, in verse 33, we know it, that it's not one of the other uh, part of the 11 disciples, because it says here that that's who they gathered themselves unto when they came to Jerusalem. So, it's neither of them. So, who these two particular individuals are, we do not know. They obviously were followers of the Lord. They knew something of what had taken place, just didn't understand it all. And that will pretty be, be pretty much the theme of this section that we're looking at. But the point is that they're on their way to... Um, a little village called Emmaus, which is about, we see here, it's uh, verse uh, 13, score furlongs, which is roughly eight miles. It's a little bit under eight miles. So it's eight miles from Jerusalem, according to the map, at least the one I have, it was uh, northwest of the city of Jerusalem. Now, in verse 14, we see, And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it is here, though, that our Lord be or verse 14, excuse me, and talked together of all that had happened. And then verse fifteen, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So as they're talking about the events that have taken place, this magnificent thing that they have heard, that they saw, the fact that they were probably uh, some eyewitnesses of the of the death of Christ and then of course they've heard the stirrings that he's no longer in the grave And they just don't know what's going on So they've been talking about this as they were heading towards the city or the village of Emmaus And it's here in verse fifteen as we see that the Lord himself draws near to them as they're walking along the way now Whether he just appeared out of thin air or actually they he was coming along and then walking The text just doesn't say. The fact of the matter is he drew near unto them as they were going along. And notice in verse 16, though, they're unaware of who this is. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So as he came up along aside them, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who it was that was with him. They didn't understand who this was. Now, he was hidden from their understanding just who he was. Now, how did this take place? Was it because of unbelief? Or was it something of God directly influencing their minds so that they could not see and understand who this was? Well, we're not told directly. The fact of the matter is it just says there in verse 16, their eyes were holding. I'm sure unbelief had some part in play in this because we again see something of the theme of this throughout this section that we'll be looking at. And then notice verse 17. uh, He said unto them, that is the stranger who had come up alongside them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another that ye walk and are sad? And so as they are walking along, the Lord here notices that they're not happy and he hears what they've been talking about. And of course, he knows what they're talking about. He knows the reason of their sadness. But of course... He is trying to draw this out of them. And notice the answer there in verse 18. And this is the answer of Cleophas. And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? So we see one of them then gives an an answer. It's actually a partial answer. In fact, it's not even an answer at all. It's more of an astonishment. Here this man who apparently was of the area because uh, he is walking out there with them. They're going apparently to the same city. And it's strange, they think, that you don't know what's taken place. Uh, Here all this has been going on and you do not know what is going on. Well, in reality, little do they know that this was the Lord himself. And he was very aware of what had taken place and the last few days in relationship to what was going on. He was the one who was crucified. He was the one who was buried. He was the one who arose from the dead. And here again, something of the silliness, then, we see, of unbelief here in verse 18, isn't it? What? Are you a stranger here? You don't know what's going on? Well, notice verse 19. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be crucified, or to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre, when they found not his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive, and certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulchre and found it even as the women, so even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Well, again, beginning there in verse 19, he plays, as it were, we'd say, dumb. But really, he does know what is going on. He is simply trying to draw out their understanding of the things that have taken place. You notice their answer, as we see there in verse 19, when he says, well, what things that took place? And again, they're probably even more astonished. What do you mean, what things? But what we do see is that they give forth here. They recall some of the events that have taken place during these last few days. And they mentioned these things very plainly. How the chief priests, there in verse 20, uh, and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and have crucified Him. They were aware of this. Then they were also aware that He wasn't in the tomb, that some of the ladies had come and saw that there was nothing there. And that even two of our brethren, you notice, two of the other disciples had actually went to the tomb because they didn't believe it. And so when they saw the empty tomb, they are now aware that, hey, He's not there. We just don't understand all of this. And it is speaking of who in verse 19. He says here concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. That's who they begin to speak about here in this passage. Now, I want you to notice something just sort of a quick application and we'll get to that in a little bit. But notice they are aware of the bare facts of what took place, aren't they? just like many today, very aware of the biblical teaching that our Lord Jesus was taken by sinful man and crucified and there uh, was hung on the cross and finally buried and rose again the third day and, and is now ascended into heaven. There are a lot of folks who know that data, don't they? You could probably ask any child, even in our midst, or other children, at least in some sense. They would have some sort of a notion that this is what took place. Now, whether they believe it or not is another matter. But they're at least very aware of something going on. Well, sort of like these disciples here. They knew the bare facts, but they just did not believe them nor understand them, did they? And again, just like many. Yeah, they've been brought up in Sunday school perhaps, heard much sermons regarding it, but they, are, they just don't understand what has taken place of what in regards to all this. This is not an unnatural thing, as we would say today. But then notice verse 25, beginning here, down through verse 27, the rebuke of our Lord. He says, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the first thing we see here is that he rebukes them. I think it's a gentle rebuke. He says they're old fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In fact, the prophets had spoken in regards to the very things that they had just related that had taken place. Remember, they go back up in verse 19 and here they begin to unfold something of the drama that has taken place in the last three days or so. They were aware of that. And he says, don't you know that this is exactly what the prophets have spoken? See, they knew it, but the problem was this. Verse 25, they were slow of heart to believe. They were aware of it. They just didn't believe it like they ought to have had so we see the rebuke to them, that really this is what the Old Testament prophets have spoken of. And so he spends the next few miles, however far they were away when they got together. Remember, there was eight miles to travel. So that's, if you were doing four miles an hour, you got two hours there, but that's quite a bit of a clip to go fast. So if you were just taking a leisurely stroll, you would have lots of time to talk over these things, wouldn't you? And so the Lord Jesus here begins to unfold unto them something of Himself in the Scriptures. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. What does He do? He expounds unto them and all the Scriptures concerning Himself. So He takes them, as it were, through the Old Testament in a survey style and begins to relate unto Him that this is regarding Christ. This is regarding, notice it says here, himself. Now, whether he said, now look, fellas, it's me. Wake up, it's me. It doesn't say that he said that, but he did make the mention that it is regarding the Christ or himself. must have been a wonderful trip, those eight miles, wasn't it? Having the Lord there to open up the Scriptures unto them in regards to himself. Wouldn't you like to have been there to hear that? Well, in reality, you do hear it. Every time the gospel is preached, it may not be by his lips, but it is by one of his servants who stands and proclaims the Word of God to you. You have the gospel opened up unto you. And what a blessing then it ought to be to us. We don't have to have Christ physically here with us. In fact, they did, and they still didn't see, didn't they? So you see, just because he's actually literally there doesn't necessarily mean a benefit does it this idea well if i could just really see jesus i would always believe this stuff well they were looking right at him they were listening to him and they still didn't have their eyes open until just a little bit later and then notice verses 28 and 29 as they drew nigh unto the village whither they went and he made as though he would have gone further but they constrained him saying abide with us For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So we see here that their trip, as it were, was coming to a close. Uh, They see that he's going to go on, and they're going to stop. And so they note this. And so what they do in verse 29 is it says here they constrained him. Very strong word. They really plead with him in order for him to stay with them. And they give the reason, look, it's getting dark. And you need to stay with us. The day is far spent. And so it says here in verse 29 that he went in to tarry with them. So as the trip comes to an end, he does then uh, stay with them. Then notice verse 30. We see and it came to pass as they set it meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke and gave to them. So you see, not only does he stay, agree to stay or come in with them, he also dines with them or eats with them. Notice here, here he is eating with them. It says he took bread and blessed it. This is the resurrected Christ who is able to eat. Uh, to eat bread at this point, we know in another place that he eats fish. Uh, in John's account that uh, they took and they ate there. Uh so we see him eating. And also notice it says he blessed it and break and gave to them. So he passes it out. But notice though something happens at this point. And it wasn't necessarily because of the bread or him breaking it. This is obviously because of his will and uh, causing them to be discerning here. In verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. So we see after He did what He did there in verse 30, it says here their eyes were open. Now, it doesn't mean they were sitting there with their eyes shut praying as we teach our children that they ought to do. But what it means is that their eyes were spiritually open. They were able to see who He really was. And they are then now they are aware of Him. But notice what happens. He doesn't stay. It says here He vanished out of their sight. While He has... while they. Actually, now behold who He really is. That He wasn't just some stranger walking alongside of Him. That was the Lord Jesus. Then He leaves them. Here again, probably a test to their faith, isn't it? Then what happens in verse 32? And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way? And while He opened to us the Scriptures? So they recount after they realize who it is they recount how notice how they felt while he spoke to them of the scriptures notice that did not our heart burn within us it didn't mean there they had, you've heard of children you've heard uh, heartburn that's not what they meant there but he means here but their emotions or their affections were affected by the way in which he was expounding scripture So those who think there's no emotions in Christianity, well, they don't know their Bible, do they? Here was a set of folks here, two individuals who had their hearts warmed, as it were, as the Lord Jesus was opening unto them the Scriptures. Now, again, they didn't understand all of that, and probably till now, and probably... Like us, we still don't know know the depths of all of that. But while he was speaking to them, as he, he opened the scriptures, that's when their hearts burned within them. So there are some emotions in Christianity. Don't deny them. Though people make a muck of them and try to rule their lives by emotion, that does not deny that the Christians do have affections and they ought to be guided correctly in accordance to God's word. Then notice 33 through 35, the last points here. It says, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. So after they realized that it was the Lord here, and they probably sat around a moment or two, reminiscing and thinking and uh, how that this took place and thinking wow here the Lord appeared unto us and we didn't know it and uh, how that our hearts burned and all of that so here we see them speaking in light of that but then they realize they have to go and so they rise up at that hour notice or at that time and they return to Jerusalem which is another eight miles back this is how excited their emotions were their affections is that they felt they need to go and relate this unto the disciples there at Jerusalem. So here it is, eight more miles to travel. And they go back and they find the uh, the 11 gathered together and them that were with them. So there's more than just 11. And then notice what happens. They say what took place. The Lord has risen indeed. You know this stuff that you've been hearing. It's true. The ladies' account were true. When the men, the two, found the empty tomb, the reason why it was empty because he was really a risen to dead. And notice, they say in verse thirty-five, they begin to tell them what's taken place to them, and how all this transpired in regards to themselves. And yet, guess what? Go back to Mark eleven or Mark sixteen again. This isn't something Luke records of this incident, but Mark does. When these two brethren come now and they describe the events that took place, what does everybody think? Well, great, you're right. No, actually, look in verse 13. And when they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. How's about that? You would think now, after hearing the women's testimony, hearing the women speak about the angel's testimony, knowing that Mary did, or uh, that the Lord did appear unto Mary, also knowing now this, the events that taken place with t- these two brethren, they still don't believe it. Isn't that sad? Isn't that something? Now, of course, they will. And we can be very thankful for that. Well, let's close with some observations this morning in regards to this. And um, the first part here is, first, we may think to ourselves, what a bunch of dummies. What a bunch of blind men in regards to all this. I mean, here, as it were, their eyes should have seen all of this, their understanding. They were people who knew the Bible. They had walked with the Lord. He Himself said to them that He was going to arise from the dead. And yet, they just don't get it. They don't believe it. Well, we may think that at first, but yet, how slow are we oftentimes to believe what is said in the Scripture? How slow are we then to put trust into action? Faith and belief in our own lives or even in what the Scripture says. Well, the Scripture says He will take care of us. He will supply our needs. He, If we seek the kingdom of God first, all these things will be added unto us. Oh, yeah, we know that. But do we really believe that? Are we trusting our lives to that, our daily needs to that fact and truth, blessed truth of the Scripture, as we seek His kingdom and His righteousness, He's going to take care of us. Now, it may not, we may not have the bed of roses we would like to lay in while He takes care of us, but nonetheless, He has promised that all of these things would be added unto us. Well, do we believe it? Or we could use a hundred instances from the Word of God in regards to things that it so plainly says in our own thinking and yet we don't either believe them or we don't go practice them. So, before we begin to blame the disciples of what big dummies they were, we probably ought to realize what big dummies we are, spiritually speaking. Another thing here is don't mistake surface knowledge of the Bible with belief. Belief. Because that's what these brethren did. They, remember, they knew the data or the data that had taken place. They knew something of the drama of that day. The women have talked about this thing being happening. We've heard with our own ears or perhaps even saw his condemnation there upon the cross. And we just hoped that God was going to take care of things. But here he is, the third, and by the way, this is the third day. Did you note that back in the text we read a while ago? It doesn't seem like anything's happened. You know, it was going to be three days he was in the tomb and he was going to rise again. And it just, you know. So, they knew that, but they didn't believe it. They could recount the events that took place, but could not spiritually make sense of them. So, again, don't mistake, brethren, a surface knowledge of Scripture with faith. They're not necessarily the same. Now, it's true. Faith will have knowledge and all that. But again, so do these brethren, but they did not believe what they saw. Now, I'm not saying they were unbelievers in the sense of they were not regenerated. I believe they were. But I'm just showing us how that we can know things uh, from a biblical viewpoint and yet not believe them with our faith. And saying all that then, so you don't get too nervous here, weak faith and weak understanding is still saving faith and saving knowledge. Can't we be thankful for that? Aren't you glad here that even though, as we saw in Mark 16, verse 13, that when they were told all of the great news once again about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they didn't believe it. Or were they not still His disciples? Did they not still love Him? But their faith was weak and their knowledge certainly was not what it ought to be. But yet they still possessed saving faith and saving knowledge. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it is that that saving faith and saving knowledge isn't somehow measured in the word of God that we have to go down so deep and believe so much in order to be saved? Isn't that a thankful thing? again, we're not giving an excuse here to anyone to try to believe as little as they can in order to be saved. We think we ought to believe as much as we can and know as much as we can. But still, saving faith and weak faith can go along together. There is weak faith. There is strong faith. And there's all kind of faith in between. But it is still saving faith. And brethren, if we have saving faith, all our sins are pardoned. And we have a righteousness that is imputed to us that is not our own. So, it's not the depth or the measure of faith that saves and justifies a sinner. But it is faith. Therefore, being justified by faith. Does he ever qualify that? How much? How deep? How vast? He doesn't, does he? Again, we're not saying there aren't things you have to believe in order to be saved. We're not saying that at all. All I'm saying is we need to take comfort here that even the weakest of faith, if it is saving faith, is still salvation. The third thing we can learn from this passage of what our Lord said is that we see here that He is the sum and the substance of Scripture. Notice in verse... uh, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them and all the scriptures things concerning himself. So he was able to go to certain passages and he would say, hey, that's me. He would go to this passage and say, hey, that's me. He would take them, for instance, as Isaiah. I'm sure Isaiah 53, that's me. Psalm 22, that's me. Other passages that dealt with the death of Christ. Zechariah, that's me. The Old Testament uh, uh, priesthood and the uh, offerings, and we find that we've been reading about in Leviticus, that's me. So the sum and substance of the Scripture is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus told the, the Pharisees, search the Scripture, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Another thing we can see this morning, number four, is that all spiritual understanding is not according to worldly wisdom, but it is according to God. In John chapter 3, verse 37, the scripture, oh, there is no 37, or 27, excuse me. Uh, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So the only way we can spiritually understand, the only way our eyes can really be opened to the spiritual realities of grace and salvation of the Bible itself is by God revealing it to us. James tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. So where does the gift of knowledge, where does the gift of faith come from? It comes from faith. God In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Very plain here. He says all things. Well, we'll go back to verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. So the Lord here hides things from smart people. And He reveals it to the babes. Notice in verse 25. Even so, here's the will of it. Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So, brethren, if we are able to believe the gospel this morning and hold fast our confidence in that, it is only because we see this, believe this, understand this savingly, because it was given to us from above. It lies not in the natural man to know spiritual wonders. It lies not even within the spiritual man, the saved person, to know things apart from the revelation of Christ. How do I say that? Why do I say that? Did we not see this this morning in the text? Verses 13 through 35. They didn't know who He was. What they were walking with, did they? So how thankful then we are. We, we ought to be to the teaching ministry of God in our hearts. That's why we believe that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He's our prophet to reveal the truths of God to us and will not know them any other way. All our Bible study will just be just that, Bible study. If God does not impart spiritual understanding to us. Another thing we can note here, notice the love and the patience of our Lord towards his unbelieving disciple. Now unbelieving not in a saving sense, but in the sense of it being weak and blind here at this point. Notice the love and the patience here. He spends at least 8 miles talking to them about something they have should have already known. Notice that again in verse 26. Oh no, verse 25. Oh fool, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And yes, he rebukes them. But then he kindly and graciously begins to open up the Scriptures to them. He should have just said, Hmm, if you didn't know this by now, you'll never get it. And then just walk on but he didn't, did he? He stayed with them. He communed with them. He even ate with them. And then he left. So, we need to see then something of the love and the patience of our Lord even towards us. Don't you believe things now that you didn't believe just two years ago, three years ago, four years ago? Why is that? It's not because you've got such a smart pastor. It's because of God. God is the one who has revealed these things to us. And God is very patient with us. And then lastly, all of us here this morning, preacher on down to the pew, we all need further instruction in the great truths of the Gospel. Brethren, if these men who walked with the Lord three years couldn't get it, I don't think we've got it all. Do you? Well, we've got the Bible. Yes, we do. So did they and yet they didn't see it all. So, let's not sit here and think to ourselves, yeah, boy, you don't know how much I've grown. You don't know how much knowledge i got between my ears. Yeah, well, it's not enough, I assure you. Whatever it may be, we can always improve upon the spiritual um, teachings from the Word of God. And as I was talking yesterday with one of the brethren, we may know a lot, but then how much of that do we obey? I think we have a lot more knowledge than we obey. Now, in some sense, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because how would you know to obey something if you didn't know it to begin with? So in one sense, there's knowledge will outstrip our walk. But it shouldn't get very far ahead of us, though, should it? And how often do we know more than we put into practice?